0: All right, here we go. Great. Hey there, I'm Nick. I'm in my 20s trying to figure out life and what faith has to do with it. I've got a lot of questions, probably very similar to the ones you've got. But here's the thing. I'm looking for a better answer, and it's difficult to find someone who can help. So I'm bringing on Kyle, a mentor of mine, who's going to help me find a better answer. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Nick. This is A Better Answer. I have a question for you. Have you ever been stressed out? Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, If you remember episode one of the podcast, the first episode was Why Am I So Stressed Out? Or maybe have you felt overwhelmed where things just keep creeping into your life or just take up too much time or space in your mind and you just can't seem to stop? You can't stop because things need to get done. Things have to uh, be given attention to, etc. So... While Kyle's still gone on this pseudo-spring break thing we got going on, uh, I get to pick and choose some messages of his that I think are, are going to, if I bring them to you, they will build you guys up uh, and help you to love God more. And so today, something I think is very on, on par with uh, where culture is, we're going to be talking about margin. It's called The Importance of Margin. This is one of my actual favorite... Um, messages kyle's got uh, given it was about 6 years ago and I was on, I, I was in college uh I only was a Christian for about a year at that point um and I just remember the message was like wow this is very interesting now in college um I had more margin than I thought <laughs> and now I have less and so it's even more pertinent today um and so and I just want to I want to bring to you so let's start with like Mark 6:31 what Jesus says uh, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And if you're like me, actually, honestly, today I had a bowl of cereal. <laughs> and I'm sure Kyle would tell me I need to eat some peanut butter, Nehemiah bread or whatever it is. Uh, but that's Jesus' heart for for us, that that we would have time to eat and rest in a quiet place. Right? And life doesn't seem to want that for us. You know, it just, things keep happening. Here's another one. John 10:10. 10. 10. <clears throat> uh, this is also Jesus. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And when I looked up these words um, in the Greek, life is uh, talking about, not your, it's talking about your present life and also your future life. Spiritual life with Him in eternity or in heaven, and then abundantly just means like an overflow, excess. Um, that's what Jesus wants to bring to you. And I think today there's there's a movement, you know, like hustle culture, and there's not there's nothing wrong with working hard at all, but um, there's like this glory in overworking, uh, harming yourself to do too much, um, or just never stopping never stopping. So Kyle talks about it. Kyle talks about this exact thing, and that's what we're going to listen to today. Uh, I think that's that's all I'm going to say. It's called The Importance of Margin. So with that, I'll see you guys at the end. Hope you enjoy.
1: Hey, I'm Kyle, if we've never met before. I've been on staff at Crossroads for about 12 years. Uh, I lead a lot of the teams that make a lot of the stuff that you uh, experience around here. Everything from kids and student stuff to what happens here on the weekend uh, and some of our newer online stuff as well. And I don't know if you've ever wondered this, like, hey, how do they come up with weekend series? <laughs> like, is it just kind of random, like margin? Where did margin come from? Well, I want you to know it's not random. I hope that's comforting. It's not random. Um, we actually have a process, three-part process that we do once a year. It happens every fall, uh, and it maps out the teaching calendar for the entire year. It's three steps. Step one is we pray. We thought that was a good idea where a church made sense to so pray. Um, step two is we talk to really smart people. We just say, hey, what do you see going on? What are the outages you see? What are, what are some places that we could step in and maybe add to the conversation? And then the last one is we look at data, uh, both internally and externally, sort of, sort of across the nation, across the globe. What are, the, what are the, the cultural conversations that we could step into? What are those things? And if something shows up loud and clear in one of those, we know that's going to be a good series. And that'll make the calendar for some point in the year. If something shows up on two of those, we know, man, this is really important. This is really important. We got to throw some weight behind this one. Well, I want you to know the guts of this one, the guts of this margin series showed up loud and clear in all three. All three. Why? Well, I believe because I believe because literally with this one, life and death are on the line. Hey, would you pray with me? Uh, God, I, I bless you for uh, being a God who wants to communicate to us. Not a faraway God, not a distant God, but a God who we can interact with, a God who we can, we can get filled up with. I pray for everybody who's here, everybody who's watching, uh, no matter where they are, Father, that you would meet them today. You would fill us up in only the way that you can. Amen. Uh, I got married 10 years ago. When I got married, my wife had one request for me, just one request. It was go to the dentist. <laughs> kind of weird. Here's the thing, though. I hate the dentist. I hate the dentist. I hate the dentist. Dentist, it's not, it's not you. It is truly me. I have a condition. I have a condition. It's called summer teeth. I don't know if you've heard of this. Summer here and summer there, kind of thing. <laughs> I think the, the medical term is actually jacked up, if that helps. So it's bad. Uh, but I humor, you know, one request. I went to the dentist. I'm laid back in the chair, doing this deal, you know. Ah, turning spit, like just over and over again. And uh, the dentist, at one point, he's, he's, he's working on me, and he just kind of straightens up. And he asked this question. He goes, hey, um, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He goes, "Uh, are you experiencing a lot of stress in your life right now? Like, no? I don't think so. Why? And uh, he goes, well, the the inside of your cheeks are covered in fresh bite marks. Covered. It looks like you've been clenching your jaw at night. That's a telltale sign of stress. Let me ask you another question. Uh, Are there any major changes in your life recently? I was like, well, uh, yeah, I, I just got engaged, just bought my first house and I have a ma- major job change. And he's like, well, those are three of the top five stresses you can have in life, buddy. All you're missing is birth and death. You are stressed out. <laughs> and in that moment, seriously, all the all the weight of my life, the grind that had become my life just fell on me. This endless cycle of like, wake up, go to work, work hard, work in the house, work in a relationship, crash, wake up, work in the house, work in a relationship, work in the house, crash, wake up, work in the relationship, work in the house, crash. It was just like um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a week, maybe two later. I was I was in the same position, probably more like this, uh, in a doctor's office on that the table you know with the paper that crinkles laying there. <laughs> and the doctor's right here, and she's looking down at me, and she goes, uh, "You got a pretty bad case of mono." <laughs> like my body had just shut down. It was weird. In hindsight, you know, like I was, uh, I was sick, I was really sick. I had no idea. I was sick and I, I didn't even know it. It was just just normal. It was just normal. Um, I, uh, in, in college, I took history courses as my electives. I've heard of, uh, that was like the easiest thing you could take at my, at, at my school. I've heard of other schools, like maybe UC, OSU. and know we've got students watching from South Carolina. What's up, y'all? Um, I've heard of other places where you can take things like golf and tennis and get college credit. That is amazing. If you have that option, take that option. That is a, that's incredible. Life does not get better than that. Easiest I had was history. That's fine. I like history. Um, and I remember learning about the Dark Ages, which like, don't you just feel bad for the people who lived in the Dark Ages? You know what I mean? Like, how, how bummed out would you be if 1,000 years from now, historians look back on the 21st century and they were like, it's kind of the lights off era, you know, like everyone was super dumb. No, nothing, nothing happening up here. Well, that's basically how we've looked at the Dark Ages, like this 800-year-long global brain fart, just 800 years. Just that. Well, to cap it off, make it worse, it ends with the bubonic plague, codenamed Black Death. It was super bad. That's all you need to know about it. But here's a little bit more. History.com says this. Uh, people who got this thing. They were overcome with fever, unable to keep food down and delirious from pain. Strangest of all, they were covered in mysterious black boils that oozed blood and pus and gave their illness its name, the Black Death. Over the next five years, the mysterious Black Death would kill more than 20 million people in Europe, almost one third of the continent's population. is that crazy? If you're like me, you might hear that and think, man, whew, thank goodness we don't live in the dark ages. You know, thank goodness we don't have any plagues like that. that would, can, you, can you imagine like affecting up to a third of the population? Thank goodness we don't have that. Right? I mean, right? Well, that's what I used to think. <laughs> but I'm starting to come to a different opinion. See, I'm starting to think we do have a modern plague. And in some ways it's kind of worse than the bubonic plague. And, and that one you got, you're covered in boils. You can see it coming and you can run from it. This one's a little different, see, because this one, like, you can have it and not even know it. You can be sick and have no idea. It's just normal. It's just normal. It's a plague called stress. It's a plague called stress. Here's some stats. These are from the um, American Institute of Stress, which sounds like a terrible place to work. Don't <laughs> don't put your resume in. I would not, I would not go there. Um, This is what they say. 73% of people regularly experience psychological symptoms related to stress. Worse than that, 77% of us regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. All that adds up to $300 billion worth of spending from companies related to stress issues and missed work days. If you're in HR, you probably already know that. This thing is a plague. What that means is many of us are dying quicker than we need to, and we're infecting others. Okay. This is life and death on the line. Stress is a plague. And the root cause? A fundamental lack of margin. A fundamental lack of margin. But, you know, we just we just call it normal life. Or sometimes we call it the grind. You know, you ever had this conversation? Someone's saying, hey, uh, how, how's life going? Like, well, man, I'm just kind of you know, caught in the grind. I'm just grinding it out, you know? Or, hey, how are things? Oh, man, I'm busy. Busy, 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 busy. Uh, just keep swimming, am I right? Just keep swimming. I mean, that's what we tell the kids. Just keep swimming. You know, um, stress is a plague. It's a plague perpetuated by a culture that has no interest in your life working. None has no interest in you ever getting margin. Because you know why? If you have margin, guess what you're not doing? You're not buying, you're not watching, you're not consuming and you're not checking. And that doesn't help. Check out this, uh, this clip. This is two Silicon Valley insiders kind of exposing a lot of the guts of the technology that influences a lot of our, our lives now. Check this out.
2: This thing is a slot machine. How is that a slot machine? Well, every time I check my phone, I'm playing the slot machine to see what did I get. What you do is you make it so when someone pulls a lever, sometimes they get a reward, an exciting reward. And it turns out that this design technique can be embedded inside of all these products. The rewards Harris is talking about are a big part of what makes smartphones so appealing. The chance of getting likes on Facebook and Instagram cute emojis and text messages, and new followers on Twitter. There's a whole playbook of techniques that get used to get you using for the product for as long as possible. So Snapchat's the most popular uh, messaging service for teenagers, and they invented this feature called Streaks, which shows the number of days in a row that you've sent a message back and forth with someone. So now you can say, well, what's the big deal here? Well, the problem is that kids feel like, well, now I don't want to lose my streak. But it turns out that kids actually, when they go on vacation, are so stressed about their streak that they actually give their password to, like, five other kids to keep their streaks going on their behalf. And so you could ask, when when these features are being designed, are they designed to most help people live their life? Or are they being designed because they're best at hooking people into using the product? There's always this narrative that technology is neutral and it's up to us to choose how we use it. This is just not true. Technology is not neutral. It's not neutral. They want you to use it in particular ways and for long periods of time because that's how they make their money. And it's not because anyone is evil or has bad intentions. It's because the game is getting attention at all costs. And the problem is it becomes this race to the bottom of the brainstem where if I go lower on the brainstem to get you, you know, using my product, I win, but it doesn't end up... In the world we want to live in, we don't end up feeling good about how we're using all this stuff. You, you call this a race to the bottom of the brainstem. It's a race to the most primitive emotions we have: fear, anxiety, loneliness, yeah. all these things. Absolutely, and that, that's again because in the race for attention, I have to do whatever works. Do you think parents understand the, the complexities of what their kids are dealing with when they're dealing with their their phone, dealing with? apps and social media? No, and I think this is really important um, because there's a narrative that, oh, I guess they're just doing this like we used to gossip on the phone. But what this misses is that your telephone in the 1970s didn't have a thousand engineers on the other side of the telephone who were redesigning it to work with other telephones and then updating the way your telephone worked every day to be more and more persuasive. That was not true in the 1970s. A computer programmer who now understands how the brain works knows how to write code that will get the brain to do certain things. You're almost saying like there's an addiction code. Yeah, that is the case. The, since we've figured out, to some extent, how these pieces of the brain that handle addiction are working, people have figured out how to juice them further and how to bake that information into apps.
1: It's kind of creepy, isn't it? I mean, It's kind of creepy. Here's the thing, though. It, it's not a hidden agenda. It really isn't. It's not hidden. Uh, I love Netflix. I don't know if anybody likes Netflix. My favorite show right now is Chef's Table. It's awesome, beautifully shot, amazing stories. If you watch it, you'll get very hungry. Just a, just a warning. Um, listen, the CEO of Netflix recently said this. Check this out. When you watch a show from Netflix, you get addicted to it. You stay up late at night. We're competing with sleep. How about that as a new slogan for Netflix? Netflix, we compete with sleep. <laughs> Probably wouldn't work. You know, I think technology maybe uh, enables the, the, this wiring of the world to, to do it better, but it's not new. The world's always been wired this way. The world's always been wired to drain energy from us. The world's always been wired to soak up every second of margin. It just has. Jesus had a name for the system of the world. He called it the thief. This is from John 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Look, this is the world. The world is wired to steal every second. The world is wired to kill all momentum and destroy any shot at us breaking through to a better life. That's just how it's set up. Why? Because that's all it can do. All the world can do is drain energy from us. That's not me talking. That's that's what physics says. I took physics in college, too. Um, I went to school for design, by the way. I don't know how I ended up in physics and history classes, but I was just bad at picking school. I don't know. Um, I I was in physics. Um, I got a C, by the way, so thank you. Thank you. I don't know why you're not clapping. I'm very proud about that. Um, I had an F going into the final and somehow I got an E. I either got an A on the final to to raise it to a C or the professor just felt sorry for me and was like, don't ever come back, buddy. Here's a C. We'll see you later. Either way, I don't care. Thank you very much if that was the case. Um, I, I took physics and physics. We learned about this thing called the second law of thermodynamics. It's the law of entropy. You may have heard of that word before, entropy. Basically, what it says is this. It says, the, usable, the, amount, the amount of usable energy in any isolated system always decreases over time. Say it again. The amount of usable energy in any isolated system always decreases over time. So what's an isolated system? Well, they can be big, like the whole universe is an isolated system, for instance. And uh, you... And me, we're isolated systems, Um, which means something kind of depressing. That means you and me on our own will always and only decrease in energy over time. Always. If you need a picture for it, if like the physics stuff isn't isn't your thing. Here's the second law of thermodynamics in picture form right here. (laughs) That's... uh, that's gross, isn't it? That's, that's Ortsy. He's the Iceman. This guy died 5000 years ago in the Alps. They found him about 20 years ago. He was frozen like this, you know, he had a real bad day. He didn't even know, to make it worse, 5000 years later, there would be like naked dead photos of him all over the Internet. It stinks. Sorry, buddy. But look, all of us, physics says on our own, we all end up like this guy. We slowly leak air until we, until we look like him. And we need to remember this. We've got to get this through our brains. This is life and death. I want you to look into his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Your hearts are filled with terror and mine is filled with joy watching you. It's amazing. I just love it. I just love it. I love it. So okay, so, so how do we avoid that fate, right? How do we avoid being the Iceman? How do we avoid slowly decreasing in energy over time until we look like Him? One possible solution. One possible solution. We've got to stop being an isolated system. We've got to find a power source outside our system who can fill us up. That's what we must do. That's the only possible solution. I got good news today. The Bible says there is a power source outside of our system who wants to fill us up. That's the God of the Bible. He actually says he created the whole universe, which means he exists outside the universe. And yet he reaches back in and wants to fill us with power for a meaningful life. This is exactly how Jesus described himself. Exactly. The verse we looked at earlier, that was only the first half. There's a second half. It's way better than the first. The first half, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. The second half, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Margin, this is a simple idea. It's a simple idea. You make margin, your life will get better. I I could have just emailed that to you. You could have saved an hour and not even come. That's the whole idea. Make margin, life gets better. Period. That's what happens. That's how God set it up. Now, the problem is a lot of us have been sold a different version of God, not a God who wants to fill us up, but a God God who wants to suck us dry. You know, like we're already weighed down by life. We're already trying to do a million different things. And here comes God with a massive list of rules and religious obligations and marks to hit. No, thanks. Look, if you've been sold a version of God like that, I'm just telling you, you've been lied to. That is not the God of the Bible. It's just not. It's not the picture that I see anyway. You know, um, I don't know if you came to Easter last weekend. If you did, I hope you had a good time. Um, Easter is this crazy story of God's power raising Jesus from the dead. Crazy story. Do you know the Bible actually says that same power, the same one that raised him is available to us? Not God has power and he raised Jesus and also there's some scraps of it that you can have. Not that. The same power. There's a, a prayer in the book of Ephesians. I pray this uh, almost every day. A lot of what I pray, I just rip it straight out of the Bible. You know, the prayers in the Bible, it's good. I use it. Um, and so I pray this a lot for, for me, for my, my family. I prayed it all for, for you all this morning. I'm from the book of Ephesians. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Look, you make margin and you get power. You get power. Look, this series, it's important to say this series is not about how to become passive and inactive. It's not. This is a series about how to have a powerful, enjoyable, productive life. That's what it's about. We're we're, uh, in my family, we're what you might call an active family an active family. We had friends recently say, uh, you guys need a family motto. I'm like, okay, what, what, what do you think? They said something like, ransoms go all out. I'm like, yeah, that, that works. That works for us. I mean, that's just us. Like, we want to get the most there is to get out of life. We want to suck up every last drop of awesome, you know. But look, on our own, what we have found out is that we just can't do it. We, we burn out. We get overwhelmed. We get underwater when, when we don't have margin to connect to God. It's a little bit... Um, counterintuitive, though, isn't it? A little counterintuitive. And it seems like the way to have the most productive life is never stop producing, you know, just keep on going. But it's not true. If you do some quick Googling, you'll find study after study, survey after survey that that disproves this point. Uh, Have you ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule, 10,000 hour rule? It's it's this this idea that a a great author named Malcolm Gladwell proposed a few years ago. Um, He did a bunch of research and he discovered that the threshold to be exceptional at anything, like flying airplanes, playing the piano, doesn't matter, anything. The bar threshold is 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours of practice. Makes sense. That fits the model. Never stop producing, have a productive life, right? Here's the the issue. That's not actually the whole story. It's not the whole story. Listen to this quote. In Outliers, that's the book he wrote, Malcolm Gladwell focuses on the number of hours exceptional performers practice and says nothing about the fact that those students also slept an hour more on average than their less accomplished peers or that they took naps and long breaks. This is how we've come to believe that world class performance comes after 10,000 hours of practice. But that's wrong. It comes after 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, 12,500 hours of deliberate rest, and 30,000 hours of sleep. 30,000 hours? Is it crazy? Make some margin, life gets better. God knows this. He knows this. If you read the first part of the Bible, it's like he's shouting his message to people over and over again. They don't get it. And so finally he goes, look, I'm going to set up a whole system, a whole system of margin. We're going to call it Sabbath. You might have heard of Sabbath from Big Lebowski. I don't roll on Sabbath, you know. (laughs) Sabbath. Sabbath has three parts to it. It's a three part system. Uh, Part one is one out of seven days is a day of margin, a day of rest. Now, if you do the math, one out of seven is 14.2 percent of your life. But it's not just one out of seven days. It's also one out of seven years. Hey, for a whole year, don't farm. And guess what? If you're a farmer, that means you'd rest, you relax, you don't work. So one out of seven years. And not just that, God says, you know what, let's, let's throw a, a cherry on top of the Sunday. How about one out of 50 years? We'll call it a year of jubilee. It'll be awesome. Make it another year of margin, another year of rest. That's two more percent of your life. So if you add all that up, 14.2 plus 14.2 plus 2% is 30.4% of your life is meant to be lived with margin. God says, This is the way to the best life. You know, Jesus knew this. Uh, he kind of operated this way. If you, if you read uh, the, the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, you'll see Jesus doing kind of three pri- primary things, just, just three. Uh, uh, he, he te- he's either teaching people, healing people, or taking a break. <laughs> That's what he does. Teaches, heals, takes breaks. That's it. And look, I know, I know this can feel overwhelming, right? It can feel overwhelming. It's like, look, I'm already wound down, already ground down. And now you're going to give me other stuff to do. Margin. That sounds like more stuff to do. I can't do it. It's overwhelming. I get it, man. I get it. I've been there. I get it. My, we got some um, great advice on kids uh, from Brian, actually. It's really good advice, killer advice. He said, hey, once you start having kids, don't stop. You know, don't put don't put big gaps between there because what's going to happen? You're going to get out of diapers and then be back in diapers, and that's going to stink. Like it's going to be terrible. Don't do that. Just just knock them out. And so we did. We were really fortunate, and we had three kids in three years. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, right. Thank you. Look at that. Tired. Ah. Oh. Okay. Now uh, these are my kids. This is this is my kids. This is uh, Eli, Ben, and Gracie, um, or as we've nicknamed them. That's time vampire one, two, and three there. <laughs> Don't tell them about that, 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 that. That'll cost me lots of money in counseling later. So let's just keep that between us, OK? But look, having kids is exhausting. Like kids, are, they, they are they're time vampires. They find every ounce of time in your life and they just suck it up. It's gone. My wife and I, after having kids, you know, we, we'd sit on the couch and we'd be like, what, what did we do with our life before kids? all of our time. Like, how did we not solve world hunger or something? You know, like, (laughs) how do you not know seven languages? (laughs) We were just overwhelmed by kids. That first year, especially after kids, it was just it was just hard. It was just hard, had different effects on us. Uh, My wife would say like she would wake up some days and she would say, I don't even I I feel like a zombie. Like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I just feel like all I do, I wipe butts and I shove food in mouths over and over and over and over and over over again. I don't know who I am. It's hard. It's draining, exhausting. Mia had a different effect. See, when I lost margin, I just lost all buffer, like all buffer. I would get quick, like, I would get mad like fast at my kids, just mad for stuff that like kids just do, you know, like need things. <laughs> I would just get mad at them. They'd be like, "Daddy, may I have a drink of water?" Like, no water for you. Ah, daddy's busy, tired. Yeah. My kids aren't British, either. I don't know. That was a British accent. I'm really really bad at British. Yeah. Look, like I get it. There are just seasons and times and circumstances in life where you just can't do all the things. So don't try. Please don't try. Please don't try. Look, if you want to if you want to take a step towards margin, just do this. This week, make one decision in favor of margin and then stop. One decision in favor of margin and stop. Don't make a whole strategy. You're too tired for that anyway. It's not going to work. Okay. one decision in favor of margin. Because look, when you make a decision in favor of margin, you're taking a step in the direction of God. You're saying, God, you say this is how life is meant to work better. I'm going to trust and believe that. I'm going to take a step towards you. You know what God does? Look, He's not the kind of God who says, hey, if you want to get to me, it's going to happen on your own power. It's not what He says. He says, the second I know this is the kind of life you want, this is the kind of life that I offer, guess what? I come behind you and I'm the power to get you there. I'm the power to get you there. I'll be wind in your sails. You take one step towards margin and just watch. The gravity of God will cause that thing to be like a snowball and roll downhill and pick up weight. It's going to be incredible. I promise. You know, uh, one of the first decisions that we made in the direction of, of margin in my house was this thing that kind of snowballed into something called Mommy and Daddy Night. I it started out like this— uh, I'm a fairly observant husband, observant husband. And so I, I, uh, my wife was tired. She was really tired, worn down. Um, after about a, a year, I noticed. So <laughs> she, was, she was very thankful, as I'm sure you can imagine. For, for this. Uh, and, and so one morning I, before I went off to work, I said, hey, look, when I get home tonight, I want you to go out. You go out and I'll, I'll, I'll do dinner. I'll do bedtime. Look, if you are the husband of a young mother, this may be the move you make in favor of margin for her this week. You not make this move. You can do this, by the way. It's it's easy. Don't make it more complicated than it has to be. You don't have to make like organic kale salad with toasted walnut, whatever, for dinner. Just toss some freaking fish sticks in the microwave. It doesn't matter, Okay. Look, I I grew up in the 80s and 90s. If you have young kids, so did you. I grew up on cardboard mac and cheese. I ate microwave cake, Okay. I'm fine. It's fine. (laughs) Relax. Relax. Here's the truth. When your wife shows back up at home, she's going to care about two things and two things only. You know what they are? One, are the children alive? And two, please, dear God, let them be asleep. That's all she's going to care about. You can do it. You can do it. You know, the second decision we made in favor of Margin happened as a result uh, uh, of my wife getting some time away. And see, on one of these nights, she, she remembered that she liked this thing. She liked to run so she went on a run and it snowballed into a hobby of running for her. And, that, and when I said running, like she runs marathons. You know what I mean? Not my thing. That's her thing. I dodged a bullet <laughs> about six, eight months ago. Our 10-year wedding anniversary was coming up in September. And so before this, we were planning like trips we could do. And we're like, oh, you know what? Maybe we, uh, maybe we go away to like the beach somewhere, you know, just sit back and soak up the sun. And, you know, someone will bring us fancy drinks. we we'll to use our hands. i we'll have straws in them. We'll just... Oh, that'd be awesome. Oh, or maybe we get a cabin somewhere up in the mountains. You know, maybe there's a lake and just just quiet and just peaceful, just nice and relaxing. And my wife goes, uh, hey, I have an idea. Uh, hey, w- what if we run the New York City Marathon together? Uh, I was like, hey. I have an idea. What if you ask Chuck Mingo? He loves marathons like you. You guys have that same mental problem. So I'll, I'll cheer you on. It'll be great. That'd be great. My hobby is a little different than hers now. And again, it just started. I made one decision in favor of this thing and it snowballed on me. Uh, my hobby is, is different. Um, here, my job requires a lot of, a lot of creating and a lot of, a, a lot of vision. And I was just worn out. I was tired coming out of this I'm in campaign a year and a half ago. I had flown around the world helping create a lot of the video for that series. Because we wanted to show everybody, hey, here's the amazing stuff going on. And we think God's calling us to more. And it was, it was awesome work, but it was just exhausting. You know, and, and the spring rolled around. I was just tired. Like like uh, mentally, emotionally tired, you know? And um, somewhere in there, I remembered this super spiritual, mystical thing that Brian has said a lot of times. It's, you need a hobby. And so I was sitting there, I was thinking, okay, God, w- w- what do I like to do? And I, and, I, and I remembered, you know, at my core wiring, I am a, I am a creator, maker, builder. That's what, I, that's what I love to do. When I'm doing that, it fills me with, with life and with energy. And so... Uh, One night I made a decision in favor of margin. We needed some shelves, and I I decided I'd I'd try to build them. (laughs) And they weren't terrible. I mean, they weren't great, but they weren't terrible. And so I made more stuff. And now I I have this amazing recharging hobby called building furniture in my basement. It's awesome. Look, making margin is not this passive. It's not this. It's not. What was that? That doesn't work for me. I get distracted way too easily. (laughs) It's active. You know, when my wife is running, she, she, those are her best times of connecting to God and being filled by God when she's on the move. When I'm in my, in my basement working on, working on furniture stuff, I connect to God in that because I'm in a lane that He's made me for. And I'm making a step towards Him. You know, it doesn't have to be this boring thing. Margin can be an exciting, enjoyable experience for you. If you make margin, you will enjoy life. You'll have a better life. Maybe the decision you make in favor of margin this week Maybe it's doing that thing that you love to do that you haven't done in a while. You know, maybe it's like picking up the guitar again or or grab the basketball, go shoot some hoops. You know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like collecting stamps again. I don't know if that's your thing. I hope it's not your thing. That sounds terrible. Don't do that. (laughs) God doesn't like stamp collecting. I feel fairly confident in saying that. So figure something else out. Um, So the most recent decision, simple decision we made in favor of margin in our life, with something totally radical. It's called uh, bedtime. <laughs> Have you heard of this bedtime? Um, see, here's kind of what happened. We're pretty smart people. And so we, 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 we went on this journey. We figured out uh, we were tired, is what we noticed. We were tired. And so uh, over the course of a couple years, we did lots of reading, lots of Googling. And guess what we figured out? We were tired because we weren't sleeping enough. We're like, wow, oh, wow, that's interesting. And so we made a bedtime. We have an adult bedtime in my house. It's awesome. We go to bed at 10 p.m. Why? So we can wake up at 6 a.m. Why? Because the kids get up at 7. (laughs) And it's a lot better if you have an hour of buffer before the kids come running down the stairs needing stuff. It's just better. It functions the way. I'm telling you, you make margin. Life gets better. Better. Look, if you're in college right now, you might be doing college the way that I did college, which is kind of like this. If I had a, uh, an 8 a.m. class and it was like a 15 minute walk from, from, my, from my dorm, what I would do is I set my alarm for 7.55 and I would pray I could run there on time. You know, <laughs> look, if, if that's you, I, I'm saying what if you tried something different this week? What if you set your alarm for an hour before your first class, which is going to mean you have to go to bed a little bit earlier? And just when you wake up, don't like cram for the next thing. Don't try to fill, fill in with productivity. Just sit. Grab some coffee. Relax. Do something that brings you life and energy and joy. And I'm telling you, you're making a move towards God. He'll show up. He'll fill you with power for your day. It'll be incredible. I don't know if you know this, um, but God actually has better dreams and better plans and better hopes for your life than you do. He does. says it over and over again in the Bible. Here's a spot in Isaiah that I I, I love this. I love this verse. It says, he gives strength to the weary. That's what he does. And increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. That is a better dream than I've ever had. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Look, I, don't, I don't know much about you, um, but, I, but I know this. This is possible for you. It's possible for you. You can have a better, more enjoyable, more productive life. You don't have to be stuck in this grind. You don't have to be continually worn down. You don't have to just be crushed by the weight of life. Because Margie, it's not, it's not just where you get filled with power. It's where you can find some relief. It's where you can find relief. Maybe that's what you need today. There's a bunch of stories like this in the Bible. This is my favorite one. Um, There's a scene in the book of John where Jesus is at a well, uh, like a water well, because he's thirsty. He's taking a break. And this woman walks up. Important to know for the story that she's a Samaritan woman. He's a Jewish man. And these two do not mix. They do not talk to each other. But Jesus, you just see like his compassionate heart just kind of break for her. And so he breaks protocol and he starts talking to her. And her reaction is like, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, you can't talk to me. You're a Jewish guy. This doesn't happen. But he cares for her so much. He pushes through. He just pushes through. He keeps talking. It comes out in their conversation. She is tired. She is worn down by life. She's been divorced five times. You know Jesus' response to that? It's not, how could you do that? How could you screw up five times? That's not what he says. It's not, hey, that's terrible. You know what? He's he, he a list of 10 rules. If you can do these 10 things for 10 months in a row, then we can talk again. Then I'll, then I'll help you. That's not what he says. That's not what he says. You can almost see his compassionate heart kind of, kind of break for this woman. There's this moment where he, he just says, hey, it's like, you, you look so tired look so tired. I know you're here for, for water, but you need more than water. You need more than water. You need, you need some relief. Look, I, I'm water. I'm water. I'm like water. If you drink me, you'll never be thirsty again kind of water. If you just take a moment, just take some margin, just sit with me for a minute. I will fill you up. You can have relief. Here's his actual words from the book of John. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks this water, he's pointing at the well, by the way. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Everlasting life isn't something that starts later. Everlasting means it starts now and lasts forever. That's what it means. It's not a later thing. And look, I'm telling you, it's possible for you. This is my life now. This is my life now. I don't bite my cheeks at, at, at night anymore. I don't, I still have the scars in there. I can still feel them, but they're not fresh. They're not fresh. Why? I'm not trying to do my life on my own anymore. It's not me against the world. I'm not slowly decreasing in energy over time. That's not what's happening to me. I'm not caught in the grind. I live a life around connecting to Jesus and he fills me up. He can do it for you, too, I promise. He can do it for you. He wants nothing more for you. You know, um, I'm utterly convinced of this. To whatever degree my life has impact is only a reflection of making margin for God to impact me, period. That's it. One of the things I do every morning at 6 a.m., this could be the, the simple thing you do in favor of margin this week. Try this one time. Try this one time. I wake up at six and um, I go to the same spot. It's this crappy old Ikea chair in my kids' playroom. This is it. Uh, So first they colored on the seat cover, you know, with markers and stuff, and then they like tore it to shreds. And so we just took it off (laughs) like we're not going to buy another one of those. You know, I go to this chair every morning and I sit down. I do the same thing. It's simple. It's not super spiritual. It's not hard. I just sit there and I say, "Um, God, I, I don't know what's coming my way today. Uh, but I know I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. And so would you be power for me today? Would you give me the power I need for whatever is coming my way? And in the moments where, where, where my day starts to feel overwhelming to me, where a conversation is too hard or where I don't know what to say and I just get, I just get overwhelmed, would you be relief for me? Whether I remember to ask you or not. And he does. He does. He answers, he answers that one with a yes a yes every single time. I want to show you three three verses. They all say the same thing, but I think it's important to see to see all three of them. This is uh, from Psalms 55 it says cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Jesus says it this way, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. And then in 1 Peter 5, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Like, you know what those have in common? All those verses, they all start with a move towards margin. Cast come cast. It's a move towards margin. It's one decision in the direction of margin, and life gets better. It gets better. Listen, you'll never get there if you don't make margin. You'll never get there. You'll just be a sl- a, a, an isolated system, slowly decreasing in energy over time. But God has better for you. You can you can have it. And you know, I wonder um, what you walked in here carrying. I wonder I wonder what's what you need relief from in your life. I wonder what the gap in power is that you're experiencing. He can fill it. We can do it. We can do that right now. You him right now. We have a little bit of margin left. You don't know it. We tricked you. I have nothing more to say. We've got five minutes left. I'm done. <laughs> And I look, I know this is the point where you start to think about the day that you have ahead and the soccer game you got to go to and the grocery list and all the other stuff you got, to, you got to go do. I'm just saying, don't. Don't. That does not work for you. It's not working. Let's try something different. Let's take a different move. Maybe the move you make in favor of margin happens right now. Just stay in your seat and do this with me. We're going to use our imaginations to connect to God and to see if we can get a little relief and we can get a little filled a little with, with, with power. We use our imaginations. Your imagination, by the way, it's one of the most powerful tools you have, and it functions awesome in margin. Functions awesome. Go ahead and close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine this. Imagine you're on a path. You're outside walking up. There's big rocks and roots you have to climb over. The incline is steep. On your back, you're carrying a heavy hiking pack and it's loaded down. Inside this pack are all the weights and the worries and the burdens of your life. Each one of them is like a stone. On that stone is one word. You might have a stone that says family. You might have a stone that says kids. You might be in college and you have a stone that says major because you just don't know which one to pick. You might be on a stone that says bills. This, the pack is heavy. It's, it's digging into your shoulders. It's killing your lower back. Your legs are on fire, but you can't stop moving. As you're, as you're climbing, you become aware of, of someone walking next to you. It's, their presence is, is peaceful and, and calming. It's like somebody who has known you and loved you your whole life without even looking over, you, you just understand this is Jesus. You're not alone. He's walking with you. And he, uh, he gently reaches over. He puts his hand on your shoulder. He says, hey, why don't, we, why don't we step off the path for a minute? Why don't you come over here with me and sit down? And he walks you to a little clearing, helps you take off the pack. You set it between you. You sit down on the rock. And he looks at you. You ask a question, hey, what's in there? Would you show me what's in there? I want you to imagine, reach into your pack and grab the rock that's on top. Pull that rock out. What does it say on it? Go ahead and tell him what that is. You fumble through some words, you get, you get a description out, and he just, he kind of almost interrupts you. And he says, hey, you know what? Why don't you give that one to me? Can I have that one? Tell him yes. Just say, Jesus, you can have it. You could have this burden. Would you carry it for me? He looks at you again. He says, hey, what else is in there? Like, what's at the bottom? What's the big rock at the bottom, the one that maybe you don't even want to think about? It's buried so deep. Maybe it says fear on it. Maybe it says purpose, because you don't know what you're made for. Maybe it says bitterness. Whatever it is, pull that rock out. Tell him what it is. Again, he says, hey, uh, why don't you give that one to me, too? You know what? Why, Why don't you give me the whole pack? Can I carry the whole thing for you? If you want right now, you can just tell Jesus, say, Jesus, you can carry the whole thing. The weight of my life is on you. Please carry it for me. And he does. With a smile on his face, he looks at you. And he grabs the straps of the pack and he puts it on his shoulders, one arm and then the other. And he stands up with ease. See, the weight of your life doesn't weigh him down like it does you. He stands up and he reaches his hand down to you. and He says, hey, come here, follow me. And he helps you to your feet. You notice immediately that your, your, your back feels better. Your shoulders don't ache anymore. And there's like new power in your legs. You start walking on the path behind him. And it's the same path you were on just a minute before. But it's totally different now. You start to notice things you missed, like the blue sky, like all the trees, sounds of birds and life everywhere. He points up ahead over the horizon and says, Hey, you see that? There's a wide green valley stretching as far as you can see. Because that is the valley of life. That's where we're headed. Come with me. You can open your eyes. I I hope today you felt a little bit of relief, a little bit of power. I'm telling you one move towards margin and your life will get better. God will take it from there. He really will. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I bless you for everyone who is here, everyone who's watching. I ask that you would just honor uh, the direction of our hearts, the people who are saying yes to you. Would you show up with power? Would you be margin? Would you be relief? Would you be the gravity that we need to take our life farther than we ever could? We want what you have because it's so good. You are so, so good. Amen.
0: All right. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty great. I've listened to it before. I remember the impact that it left on me. I still remember it. That's what, how I remember to search for it to, to put on this podcast um, while Kyle's gone. So I want to ask you as we end how are you going to take one step towards margin? How are you going to actively take a step to cast your burdens on God? I would encourage you and, and, challenge, and challenge you take one step this week towards that, make a decision. Can be small it, like whatever it is, whatever you've decided is the thing in front of you you, you need to take towards that. Uh, decide that and then protect it now if you in my own experience, you can have a really great idea, and if you don't protect it, it disappears very quickly. This is something my wife and I have to practice. Um, we try every Saturday to have um, hopefully the whole day to rest and recharge to do things we enjoy, fill up. Um, and get ready for the week. If we if we don't protect it, it very, very, very quickly just disappears, becomes um, chores, becomes things we have to do, and then we're just more tired. You know, you get to Friday and you're tired, and then you get to Saturday, you get more tired, even though you, even though it's a day off, and then et cetera, et cetera. So, hope you take Kyle's words seriously and the words that he spoke of from the Bible and what God says about this in his heart for you to be fully rested, recharged, and full of life. Um, so, yeah. I hope that blesses you guys. One more week, uh, I'm going to find another special message, message for you guys, and then Kyle should be back, and we should be back asking questions. Love you guys. See you next week.